thank all of you for having joined us. Today it is my extreme pleasure to stand before you and to let you know just how much we actually love you, how much you mean to us. Not only those who are members of this fellowship, but those of you who are around the world who are a part of the Fellowship International and those of you who are not even a part of the Fellowship International who watch us, we thank you so, so very much for uh, tuning in today. I want to just say that the message that we're going to be sharing today, I think should be a part of the series that we've done earlier this year, that we did earlier this year, called um, uh, The Church. We did a series called The Church. And so uh, it, it's just a, a wonderful series. And I want to just talk to the church today because since approximately 2008, uh, the Lord revealed to me that all that was going on in the world was not about the world. It was about the church. And we have been saying that for all of this time. All that is going on, all that you see, it's about you. It's about you, the people of God. And so today I want to share a message entitled, If You Want to Be Great, If You Want to Be Great. Uh, this message uh, was born out of reading the scriptures where the disciples uh, James and John approached Jesus and brought their mom and uh, asked him a question. And so what I want to do is to read uh, from Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 20 through 26, and uh, we'll get the context for this. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. What Jesus was saying to them is that you're asking something that is not mine to give. My Father is going to give it. Now, but if, if you are able to drink of this cup and to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with, say so. And they said, we are willing. He said, you will indeed drink this cup. You will drink this cup of affliction and of death, and uh, you will be baptized with the same spirit that I'm baptized with. And then he says, the scripture says in verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased. I mean, they weren't just mad a little bit. They weren't bugged. They were mad. Not a little bit. They were very angry, very upset. And, and uh, with those two brothers, they were disciples. They were walking together. But maybe they were really upset because how dare you get there before we do? You know, maybe they, they had this competitive thing in them. We don't know. The scripture doesn't say. 
But Jesus called them to himself because he knew he had a problem, and he says to, to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So those brothers were thinking about being the bosses. They were thinking about having people serve them. So the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over. They are in charge people. They are authoritarians. Those are Gentile attitudes or non-kingdom attitudes. And those who are great exercise authority over them. And so whenever we think of somebody great, we think of the big guy, the boss. We think of somebody who has control. We think of somebody who wields power. He says, yet, now listen to what Jesus says, yet it shall not be so among you. So what Jesus is doing is bringing a, a kingdom dynamic to the people, to his disciples, and thus to the people of God. And so you and I are, are to be poised, ready to receive these kingdom dynamics. And listen to what he says. Yet it shall not be so among you. You shall not be like the Gentiles. So I say to the church, you shall not be like the Gentiles. You shall not be like those who desire to be the big boss, the big cheese, the big enchilada. No, it shall not be. But whoever desires to become great among you, and I've always wanted to be great. Have you ever wanted to be great for God? I wanted to be great for God. Yes, when the Lord told me that my job, my assignment, was to bring clarity and simplicity of the gospel to his people. What he didn't mean was that I should so, uh, make things so elementary that everybody could understand. Not so much that, yes, that is included. But that I would bring a simple message of one person, Jesus Christ, to the people of God. One message. So he says, but whoever desires to be great, I want to be great. I want to be a Smith Wigglesworth. Yes, I want to lay hands on people and have them healed all over the place. I want to be great. I want to go in and empty hospitals. You know, wasn't thinking about the doctors and the nurses' employment. But I wanted to do all those great things for God. He says, no, your job, your assignment is to bring clarity and simplicity of the gospel to my people. So he says here, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him become your servant. Let him become your servant, your diakonos in the Greek, your attendant, your waiter. So he says, somebody who waits the tables, let him be somebody like that. So the servants in the house are the great ones. Those of us who serve, those who usher, those who greet, those who clean the podium, all of the camera people, the sound people, those are great people, according to Jesus, those who serve us when we have dinners and lunches, those who prepare the food, those who serve the food. He says, in his kingdom, these are great people. And he says, and whoever desires to be first among you, I love to go on the airplanes with the first group. And I love to go on there with the first group because if you go on there with the first or, the, or the, say the second group even, then you get up, not only uh, you get to put your bags, your carry-on bags right over your seat. And I love having them over the seat because some people will get on the plane before you, they'll stuff, if you're in the fifth or the sixth category, they will put their bags where you are and go to the back. 
And now you have to search for a place. So we all like to be first, don't we? Yes, we do. Don't deny it. We like to be first. We like our privileges. So he says, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Let him be the person who is under subjection. Let him be like the young kid. I was the fifth child of my family, uh, the third son, and I loved to travel with, go with my brothers. I loved to hang out with my brothers. If they were going somewhere, I was going, and they always said, go home, boy, little boy. <laughs> go home. We don't want you hanging out with us. And, and so... Um, uh, this is what it looks like. So he says, if you want to be first, you have to be a, a, a slave. That is, like the youngest person, like the one who uh, is under subjection. Now, so he says here in verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what does it mean? The Son of Man came to be an attendant. He came to wait on us. He came to do the menial things. He came to minister. He came to serve. Wow. And so Jesus, two examples of Jesus serving is the first one is Jesus knowing that he had come from God, knowing that he was going to God, rose up from supper and girded himself with a towel, got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. That's what it means to be great. Amen. Jesus has dignified serving. He has dignified being great by serving. He has given greatness a new meaning. And so the other one was after Jesus having risen from the dead. Can you imagine? The first man to beat death, risen from the dead. He's cooking breakfast for his disciples, serving. So that's God's idea of greatness. So Jesus contrasts the world's view of greatness and God's view of greatness. They are polar opposites. And he said to them, you are those, in, in um, Luke chapter 15, he says to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is highly esteemed among men is a, an abomination. It's a shameful thing in the sight of God. Now, this, this chapter we, we're just reading here contain some hard things for us to receive and practice. Yeah, they, they, because our cultures are always going in the opposite direction. I, I would say to you, our culture is the antithesis of what the kingdom is. So we have to then battle against cultural proclivities, cultural leanings that were taking us away from the kingdom and our kingdom promises. Jesus says what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Wow. Jesus hates arrogance. Wow. Wow. Now, now he says here, um, if we love, this chapter is saying, if we love the things of the world, we cannot love God. Now, I know that's, that's tough. As I was studying, um, some commentators said, then we cannot not love God the right way. We cannot love God as it were, as we should. No, we can't love God. How do, did I derive that conclusion? Because the scripture says, do not love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Wow, John is very tough. John is not some little Pillsbury doughboy. He's tough. If we are not yielded completely to the Lord's will, we cannot obey him. You have to, you have to be yielded completely to the Lord's will, or you cannot obey him without reservation. Just with no, re no reservation, you obey him. He says, do it, you do it. I, I, I've said numerous times that in the scriptures, sometimes when we're studying, we say that they are, they're captured in the Bible when Saul disobeyed God. Saul, the first king of Israel, disobeyed God. It says, Saul's incomplete obedience. No, it should be titled in every Bible. We should scratch that out. You can scratch that part because that's the editor's comment. You can scratch that out and put there Saul's, Saul's disobedience. Because to not obey fully is to disobey. If we gl seek glory for ourselves or if we compare ourselves with other believers, then we're not glorifying Jesus. Let me say that again. If we seek glory for ourselves, and many are seeking glory for themselves, or if we compare ourselves with other believers, we are not glorifying Jesus. We cannot acknowledge Jesus as our king unless we love him completely, loving him completely, obeying him without reservation. If we do these things, we will one day share in his life fully and his joy and also reign with him. We must obey him in this world when things are the antithesis, the polar opposite of the kingdom of God. Wow, wow, wow. So this is the challenge to the, for the church, that the church must not be as we have found ourselves. If all of this is about the church, it must be about purifying us, purifying our thinking, purifying, as it were, uh, all that we are, all that we think we are, purifying us. Second Peter chapter 3 verses 10 through 13, Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now notice what he says. All the works will be burned up. Everything that men have ever done will be destroyed, totally burned up, totally consumed by the coming of the Lord. Wow, all your labor, yes, for, for thousands of years of humanity on the earth, it will all be burned up. Nothing will be left that is of man. Wow, so what does that say? Therefore, he says in verse 12, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, not just conduct, in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Now notice what Peter God's trying to say. What he's saying is, if all this is going to be destroyed, you need to really walk in holiness. You, you don't want to have works that are going to be burned up. And he says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so God is about righteousness. I, I, I refuse, I refuse to be one of those Christians whose attitude seems to be don't meddle with the things I hold dear. It's when I see everything falling down around us, even as I'm speaking today, things that we have held dear are falling down around us. We need somebody to wake us up. 
We need, we need some old prophet, Old Testament prophet, or New Testament prophet, or somebody. We need somebody to say, wake up, church. We need somebody. We need somebody to not leave you alone in your foolishness. One thing that's very difficult for me, when, when somebody says things like, oh, I knew that was wrong, but I didn't want to say anything. What? No, no, no. I'm a watchman on the wall. I got my assignment from God, not from you, not even from the church members whom I dearly love and don't want any of them to leave us. But I am a watchman on the wall called by God to shout when I see the enemy coming. I need to blow the trumpet. Amen. We all need to blow the trumpet because if, we, if the enemy comes, we do not, do not warn the people. Then the enemy comes, he consumes them. God will say, you didn't blow the trumpet. I, re I require all their blood at your hands. This blood on my hands, and I won't let that be. I'm not speaking to these things from a political context, but from a spiritual one. Sure, they have a, a political, they have political elements, but that's not where I'm coming from. I'm talking about the spirit. I'm talking about God. I'm talking about Jesus and his sacrifice, how great it is. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, he says, uh, th verses 13 through 21, I will read them rather hurriedly. He says, therefore, you know, gird up your loins or the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins. So he's saying that your mind is like your waist and you need a belt to keep everything uh, sort of covered and tight. You know, gird up the loins of your mind. Come on, don't be loose. You know, yeah. He says, be sober and rest. Now, be sober, be aware, don't be drunk. Be sober and rest your hope fully. Rest your expectations fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have said to you also that this time in which we live is a revealing time. And he says, now, but in this time where there's chaos and pandemic, there's unrest in the nations, strong men are trying to take control all over the world. You see it, don't deny it. He says, but this is what you should do. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the midst of all of this, Jesus is being revealed, and you are being revealed. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, don't conform yourself to what you were before Christ, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He who called you uh, to be holy or he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. There are those who say this scripture does not mean what it says. They say it does not mean what it says here, and whenever somebody says, well, you can't be holy. Yes, you can, because God said, be holy, for I am holy. So God speaks that separation. He says, be separate. Conduct yourself differently than the world. Follow the Holy Spirit. Wow. When he give, he's given us this Holy Spirit to empower us. And so there are those who say, well, nah, it doesn't quite mean that because we can't be holy. We are. Well, you are contradicting God, buddy. And anybody who contradicts God is himself a liar and is participating with the father of lies. 
That's just the truth of it. Uh, I, for those of you, of you who are in the audience, for a number of years now, when I get so passionate, I stop to say, I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. Verse 17 says, and if you call on the Father who without partiality judges. Now listen, this, this sort of causes us to tremble. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves. Now, God, he says, God is not going to say you're cute. He loves the way you walk. He loves your blue eyes, your brown eyes, your, your black eyes, or whatever kind of eyes you've got. He loves your nice hair. He loves your bald or whatever. No, God is not saying that. He says he judges without partiality. He's going to judge you according to what you have done, how you've obeyed him. That's what this time is about. It's revealing who is obedient and who's not. Who would rather align themselves with the world than with God? Wow. He says, conduct yourself, because God is not partial. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct. God healed you, rescued you from your aimless conduct, going in all kinds of direction. You ever seen bugs on the ground sometimes at night? They're just going all in all kinds of direction. He said, that was you. That was you before Jesus came. It was you. It was you before Jesus came. Received, you received by tradition from your fathers. It was handed down. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Wow. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. For you. He was manifest for you. Who through him, you who through him, believe in God. You through this spotless lamb, who gave himself willingly for you, believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, gave Jesus glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. There are five questions that must be answered. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through, uh, chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. This is what he says to the church. This is what he says to all of us who are listening. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? No, number two, and what communion has light with darkness? And number three, what accord has Christ with Belial or the devil? Number four, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, listen what God says about you. I will dwell in them and walk among them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, what does God say? Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch, do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. What God's saying to the church, come out from among them. The church, many in the visible church, I'm talking about the visible church, not the true church, that is not visible to your eye, but the visible church has made many unholy alliances. In America, we're terribly guilty of that, brothers and sisters. And listen, I'm not anti-American. 
If, if, if you are a patriot, I am more so. If you love this country, I love it more than you do. But we have to come from among them. But we, we want to make it okay. So we'll, 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 we'll find leaders, and we've been doing that recently, like in the last so many years, uh, maybe less than a decade. We've been, been getting ungodly men saved, quote unquote, so we could follow them and meet the requirement of the scripture. They're not saved. Even one, and I know I'm on, on some, some dangerous ground here, but even one says, never asked for forgiveness, never had to. And we say, oh, that leader's saved. That's shameful, brothers and sisters. I'm just bringing it here this morning. I hope you love me. Don't, don't turn off your device. Don't turn me off. He says, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a, no, listen, no, if you don't do that, I will receive, oh, Jesus. So I'm going to jeopardize him receiving me? He said, I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. And so the writer Paul says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I fear God. Do you fear God? I fear God. May I read this quickly uh, from the Message Bible? I, I, thought, I thought you would enjoy it. He says, don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership, it's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go, go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust whole hands? Who would think of setting up pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are, each of us, a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I will live in them, move in them. I will be their God and they will be my people. He says, so, so leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good, says God. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. With promises like this to pull, to pull on us, to pull us on, with promises like this to pull us on, dear friends, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or detract, distracts us, both within and without. Let us make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. Now, I want to end, take about three or so minutes to, to just end my message today. My title is, If You Want to Be Great. Jesus says serve. If you want to be great, become the lowest. Become like the youngest if you want to be served. Bring yourself under subjection. For whatever reason, when the slogan, Make America Great Again, was expressed, and it was expressed, I think, in the 1980s and again revived here in the last four years, he said many Christians gravitated to that expression as though it was somehow part and parcel of our new humanity. In fact, it is contrary to everything that is Christ. When we say make America great again, we forget that America became great because of her service to humanity. Even though we had our own warts and un un ugly underbelly, 
Our ideals were to serve, and we served in the world. We rescued nations that were gasping for a breath of freedom. And as has been said, we only asked them for a place to bury our dead. We sent more missionaries to the world than anybody else. We were serving. All through Africa and Asia, even went back to Europe because they were now apostate many. South America, even in places in North America, the islands of the sea, we were sending missionaries, sending billions of dollars. We were serving. But now we want to be great by not serving. When we became great by serving, by demanding our own rights and using our own strength to make others do what is in our selfish interest. That is not God. That's not his way. And the church has gravitated to it like it's a part of our new humanity. Make America great again is a selfish and self-centered and often repeated phrase, which if not turned around, will be directly responsible for removing the mantle that God has given to this nation. Excuse me. No Christian should gullibly say those words, make America great again. For the scripture is clear. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We have left God in his righteousness. We have followed our own inclinations. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Another scripture says, brethren, Paul says in Romans 10, 1 through 3, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For many being ignorant of God's righteousness, and this is where we are in America, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. We have created an American gospel that is not the gospel of the Bible, where we can have our cake and eat it too. We can have the world and God with that new gospel. Not so. And we've also, we've been conflicted for too long and we must get rid of this nasty habit of vilifying victims. In the church, I'm talking to the church. I'm not talking to the world. The world does this. They've always done this, but the church is now complicit. Brethren, I want to say to you, as Paul said in Romans 10, I want to say in my own words, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for America is that they may be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. That's what's happened. We, we have an Americanized gospel. Many in the world are repudiating it. I travel to nations and they repeat it. We don't want that. You know why we want you? We love you, Pastor? I say, why? Because you don't preach that American gospel. 
And I say it to all of my brothers and sisters of America, stop it in Jesus' name. I now have a deeper context for the words of the psalmist when he said, redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. He does not say, he does not say redeem Israel, O God, out of all of its trouble, but all of, all of their trouble, all of his troubles. And I'm asking God to do that for us. I'm going to, I, I am now reaching my end. I recently watched a video where a pastor talked about his dreams and felt compelled to warn all of us about what's on the horizon for us as a nation. To this day, I, I don't think he was not telling us what he had dreamed, and I don't think he, I don't think he was insincere at, at all. But I thought his emphasis, his conclusion was wrong. He said, I'm a patriot. I love this nation. He said, nothing that I have not said so many times from this pulpit. I too am a patriot. I too love this nation. But for us, that should not be the context. The context is that Jesus gave himself for the church. He loves the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5, 23. Christ is head of the church and he is savior of the body. We should be saying, I love the church. That should be our first point of emphasis because Jesus loves the church. Verse 24, the church is subject to Christ. And the church should never have an America first attitude. I was taught as from a child up, and I still hold these truths. God first, others second, myself last. That was our Christian ethic. God first, others second. But now we preach that and we make church people uncomfortable. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, that he might wash her with the washing of the water of the word, to present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. My last statement before I give the invitation. I heard a secular commercial, a secular commercial on television this weekend saying, we are here to serve you. We are always putting you first. We are here to serve you. We are always putting you first. Father, thank you for the word today. I bless your people in Jesus' name. I pray that they would receive the word, the engrafted word, and they would grow thereby. I pray in the name of Jesus for them. And for those of you who are in our audience who are not saved today, Paul says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach.
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be safe. No ifs, ands, or buts. You'll be saved. And I ask you today to pray with me. Dear God, forgive me of my sins. Accept me today. I come to you and I disavow everything of my old life. And I ask you to make me new and give me your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.